0: We do have a ton to get through in this episode.
1: Common sense is finally prevailing.
0: There was controversy this month, Dave.
1: I'm not particularly excited by that. Secrets and
0: things on set.
1: I haven't told them anything.
0: I think this is just good times all round.
1: Every doctor who is liked by somebody, and that's a really good thing.
0: Davo, my doctor. I know we disagree on this one. First world problems, Dave. I
1: get why fans are asking those questions.
0: Oh gosh, that's actually quite a lot to talk about. It- doesn't compute. It's the elephant in the room. That's okay. Fandom versus the BBC. The
1: calmness sin. Moving along. Lunch.
0: G'day I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And welcome to the Doctor Who show for the end of March 2022. Dave it's crazy to consider we're a quarter of the way through the year and we're about to see some new Doctor Who in the weeks ahead and that's an episode I think people are broadly looking forward to as well.
1: Yes I think that the chat and expectations around Legend of the Sea Devils has been really quite positive and you're right that's come around the corner incredibly fast it's it's probably only about two or three weeks away.
0: Yeah it's crazy we'll be back in two or three weeks to do our hot take review on Legend of the Sea Devils and That feels like absolutely no time before we're doing that. Speaking of reviews, though, Dave, we've had a review this month on Apple Podcasts, and I always love to read these out at the start of the show to say thank you to the people who take the time. To, to leave these for us This one comes in on the 23rd of March In Great Britain And it's from the user November Waters So thank you November uh, The heading is just great Five stars of course <laughs> Of course he says uh, Two charming affable superfans Discussing who Always very even and fair with their opinions Grown up and rational talks Much needed in the hysteria Of modern fandom Fantastic chemistry between the hosts Oh, it's lovely. Thank you so much, November Waters, for that. Very positive. Oh, thank you very much. And it's always lovely to have our listeners drop us reviews like this. It really does mean a lot.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very positive. Uh, speaking of positive, I just before we turned on the mics here, mm-hmm. finished episode four of season two of Picard, Aha. which which is a rarity these days. In that, overwhelmingly, the feedback I've seen from fans has been really positive.
0: Yeah, the second season's doing a lot better than the first, I'll say that.
1: Yeah, definitely. So that, that's been fun. Uh, the Blues are two from two at the start <laughs> of the football season, so that's another fan base that's pretty content. So, um, you know, all is right in fandoms.
0: Yeah, I, I'm one and one with uh, my NRL team, so, you know, we'll see how that season goes.
1: <laughs> it it's better than being none and one. <laughs> exactly right, exactly right. And this month we've got a fun little episode, I think.
0: Oh yeah, this is going to be a light and frothy one, folks, as we promised at the end of last episode. So we'll uh we'll do a bit of news, some mini topics, and then a, a lovely light and frothy topic, putting TARDIS crews in uh big well maybe not even big, but in movies, Dave. Yes,
1: I've I've look, I've got some pics that I think are interesting, and I'm I'm very curious to see what you come up with. But uh, before that Do we have any news this month, Rob?
0: Well, look, we don't have a lot of news, Dave, so I think there's only one topic really worth talking about, and that's the Hugh Grant as the doctor rumour.
1: Yes. Now, rumour is an interesting choice of words because, of course, it was published in certain august, or not so august, (laughs) arms of the media as fact.
0: Yeah. Oh, it, it was, and it got me thinking all sorts of things. I thought, and I even said this on Twitter. I said this could be some misdirection. I I don't know whether Russell would call his mate Hugh and say, "Look, Hugh, I'm about to cast my doctor. Could we put it out there that we're talking to you?" <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, that's that's great. What a jolly jape that would be." And and they do that, or whether they just went and did that. I don't know quite how it would have came up. There there are certain possibilities. Hugh Grant, of course, came out and said. Oh, look, you know, all all respect to Doctor Who, but I know nothing about this. Could that be a lie in itself? Who knows? Another thought I was having, Dave, I thought, you know what? If Russell's smart, he always wanted to cast Hugh. What if Jodie regenerates into Hugh and it's like a de-aged Hugh, like in his imperial phase, in the early 90s, in his, you know, four weddings and a funeral phase? And then when we get to the 60th, a year later, Hugh just plays it as he looks now. It's a fertile ground for Big Finish and for books and all sorts of things, Dave. And then he regenerates in the 60th into the actual Doctor. So Russell gets to cast Hugh, have his cake and eat it too, but not have to have an old, old Doctor because he is 61 years old. You know, I mean, Capaldi and Hartnell were 55 and people thought that was, ooh, that's pushing it.
1: Yeah, Hugh Hugh is 61, Dave. That does make me feel a little bit old because, yes, I was I was, you know, <laughs> at high school when he... Smashed into the into the world as the big new young heartthrob and saviour of British TV movie, no, saviour of British movie comedy. So into
0: the zeitgeist,
1: he was huge for a while. Yes, uh, and and look, he's still very respected. Look, Rob, when I saw this news, I, I had five five second thoughts, mm-hmm. and to, and to give them to you in quick succession. Yes. Uh, num- number one, if that's true, that's a really good choice. Number two, it's probably not true. Yes. (laughs) Number three, I'm kind of impressed how positive the reaction to this has been. Mm. Number four, is this going to be another one of those rumoured RTD tricks where David Tennant's back as the Doctor but for half an hour and Hugh Grant's back as the Doctor but for one special. And five, look, the media are being a bit dodgy in the way they're reporting this. But as we get closer to the announcement, I think we know from recent not so recent history as we get closer to the announcement the probability of the media getting it right mm-hmm. moves towards one
0: yeah and i actually when this was happening started looking at the bookies just to see if anyone was moving in the bookies uh list and and no one was it still had a whole lot of improbable crap on there two things i'll say one you mentioned the the reaction was positive i think that was your third point and i agree you know he may be an old White guy, and that's not really flavor of the month in pop culture these days. But fandom and the broader public seem to be okay with it. That yeah, surprised and, me.
1: Yeah, and it comes back to a point that we made back when we did our fourteen for fourteen, where I must admit we threw Hugh Grant out there as a possible, you know, dream pick. Mm. I, I said that if you say we're going to have a straight white man and you bring out a non-entity, that's going to be very negative. But I think this shows the point I made then was correct. If you say, "Look, we've got a straight white man," but here's Hugh Grant, mm. people are going to go, "Okay, I I get that," yeah. and I think that the reaction has been really quite sensible. It's been it's been not muted, but it has been cautious. And uh, yeah, look, I I think we're still away from the announcement of the new Doctor. I th- think I saw Rtd say yesterday, you know, or a clip of him saying yesterday that. He's really not making any announcements because he's still not the showrunner. He mm. is the showrunner-designate, and at the moment he said this is still Chris Chibnall's show and he's not going to rain on his parade, so he could be quite a way away from an announcement. Therefore, I don't think we are at that point now where the probability of the media getting it right is close to one. Mm. It's it's probably still quite low. But, but, you know, as we've said before, Jodie Whittaker, Peter Capaldi, David Tennant, they were all picked by the media... Ahead of the announcement
0: Yeah they were They really were Look I think that at least get uh, the Sea Devils episode out of the way Before we'll get a new Doctor He did say Chibnall's in charge until October And I thought ah that gives us the date of the centenary episode Because I I threw this out on Twitter For a long time I've been thinking Are they going to do the centenary of the BBC forming Or the centenary of the first broadcast Because they're actually two different dates If it's forming then it's October 2022 if it's the first broadcast, it's actually November 2022. So this confirms that that special will go out in October, which was one of the two dates we were assuming.
1: Yeah, I get the feeling that this whole centenary of the BBC thing is going to be a big sort of two or three month long rigmarole of self-congratulations. And it's it's, it's probably going to be quite tiresome. And look, I respect a lot of the very good things the BBC has done in its history. Absolutely, I do. But I do find the fetishisation of a TV channel a little bit weird. Maybe that's because I don't live in the UK where they, they maybe see it a bit differently to me. But mm. uh, yeah, look, I, I think you're right. I think we are starting to see that it's probably October, not November, which is where we naturally assume anniversaries are. And uh, that's going to be quite a break between Sea Devils and... The Jodie finale.
0: Yeah, that's right. Now, I had a second thing to say. Your fourth point. What
1: was your fourth point again? This could be one of those tricky things where RTD is going to have four different people play the Doctor for four minutes or something. Yeah. And, yeah,
0: Yeah. that's it. And again, that ties into what I said earlier, too, that maybe, you know, he would bring him back just to play it in the special. Because as we've said for a long time now, God, it's going to be hard for a new Doctor to debut in a special especially if it's a multi-doctor special that's going to be really tough so you'd, you'd almost want to just have a a 60th anniversary story with older doctors in it or maybe a one-off doctor if that's what he's going to do so that's why i started having those thoughts that oh could Hugh come in and just do the special
1: yeah one thing that has happened in doctor who law and it's was probably inevitable and I'm, I'm not criticizing it is that we have made regenerations a little bit less precious because they're in the past, when we grew up as fans of Rob, there was a scarcity to regeneration. The doctor had a finite number of lives. Now we've made it very clear that no, he can sort of have as many as he needs. And Chibnall's gone even further and said he's actually got billions. Yeah. So, the, this sort of idea of regeneration being precious and you can't just waste a regeneration, you can't just have a doctor come in for half an hour or an hour and then go again, you know, that's that's, that's gone by the wayside. And I think now we've crossed that Rubicon as a show. There are some interesting possibilities you can do with it, as you alluded to there.
0: Yeah. And look, one one last thing I'll mention on this. There was a really good Bleeding Cool article that came out around the time of Hugh Grant being spoken about. And the heading is, when British tabloids made up stories about the next Doctor Who. And it actually, they've done a bit of research and they've got the newspaper clippings or whatever. And they've gone through, back from the Hartnell era, Tom Baker, you know, who's going to replace Davo... Uh, who replaced Colin, you know, Alexi Sale in the mix there, the Joanna Lumley rumours, even Mary Tam coming back into the mix at one stage. Literally for decades, Dave, as you you well know, tabloids have made stuff up, been fodder for fanzines, it's been fodder for podcasts in more recent times. And so I guess they were taking the idea that the Hugh Grant thing was just more rumour. But I don't know, even with Hugh's denial, just the fact that RTD originally wanted him oh, it's hard to shake from my head
1: whenever there's a missing episode rumor you always sort of look at the ones that are most credible to least credible and when somebody says i found an episode of you know something like power of the daleks that just wasn't broadcast in all sorts of places and there are very few copies of it, you go that's not very likely when they say i've got episode five of marco polo you go well it's mm. you know was was the, one of the most sold missing stories, so it's very very possible, and and so you give it a bit more credibility. I think that the interesting thing about this is that it did have a ring of credibility because everybody knows that RTD likes to work with a pool of people. He collects people around him that he works with again and again. Uh, Lydia West, David Tennant, a couple of examples of that, mm. and Hugh Grant is now in that stable because of course they did do a very English scandal together so mm. it has a ring of credibility around it I'm not saying that means I believe it mm. I'm just saying I am as I think you are being less dismissive because of that
0: yeah I, I want to believe like Fox Mulder well, back in the 90s well. yes, yes, I want too. to believe Dave yes
1: <laughs> exactly and that's the other side of it as well I think you know we would we would embrace Hugh Grant as the doctor
0: oh massively massively but again he is older so again that's a reason why i think he may only just do the one because a 61 year old doctor that's a hell of a grind making the series
1: look it is but again we don't know what sort of format rtd is doing and maybe he's planning to have six one hour episodes maybe he's trying to do Mm -hmm. a series of specials to kick off there are things we don't know so we can only speculate but um you know look look hugh grant he's a pretty energetic 61 i mean Look at what he did in the Paddington 2 movie, for example. That, that wasn't an unenergetic performance. And, <laughs> and, you know, Peter Capaldi struggled, but he did it.
0: Yeah, he buggered his knee, though, I think, in his first season.
1: And, and maybe Hugh Grant would say, I'll give you a year. Maybe. Maybe. We're giving this a lot of uh, detailed speculation for something neither of us, I think, truly believe is happening. <laughs> <laughs>
0: but we've thrown it out there now and listeners can have their say. Absolutely. Shall we move on to short
1: topics? Yes, so look, I'll kick us off because I've actually got two quickish mini topics for us this month. Mm -hmm. And the first is, as I mentioned at the end of last year, I did order from the UK the new David J. Howe book, The Who Adventures, Mm -hmm. which is basically the sequel to his target hardback, all about the Virgin New Adventures. Now, I haven't read every word of this yet, Rob, but I have had a chance now to dive into it. And it is going to take me a long time to finish it because it is so exquisitely done, mm. so much detail in the content there, the interviews, the production details, the artwork, the original artwork, the sketches, the alternate artwork. I kind of thought when I saw this, look, it'll be good, but how could it possibly compete with the target book? Because maybe there's just not quite the interest or the level of detail, but not at all. This is absolutely on par Level with, if not exceeding the quality of that book, perhaps, and, and, and perhaps just from a pragmatic point of view, because the authors are all, with one or two exceptions, the authors are all still alive. The artists, with at least one exception, are mostly still alive. The editors are around. So there actually is a lot more material that you can gather for this. And David J. Howe has done an extraordinary job. Look, it is not cheap because obviously it's limited run and the postage out here cost more than the book. Yes. Which is an ongoing problem with living the other side of the world, but uh-huh. every every cent this was worth in my view.
0: Yeah, I've I've got my own copy of it now and I did that for a very particular reason because as you mentioned these are limited run books and Once it's sold out, there'll be a period of time where there's no book available. And then Howe will probably do a soft cover version of it. And then another period of time will go by, maybe even years before he'll do another hard cover run. And I thought if I miss out on it, it could literally be years before I can buy this in hard cover again. So although I've certainly flicked through it and thought, my God, this is a brilliant looking book, but I haven't read it. But it's one of those things where I know I want it. I know I want to read it and I'm just sort of acquiring it for a later date because I know it will be hard to get later.
1: Yeah, and of course, the other thing is that the range of interest in this book is probably a lot more limited than the Target book. There was, there was 20 years of regular Target book production coming out and mm. different generations of fans grew up with different iterations and eras of the Target novels, and so it's got a very deep love within a large range of fandom, whereas the Virgin books were only for seven years they are limited to a particular generation of fandom. Now, it is our generation of fandom, and I think we've sort of discovered that there is a group of people in fandom, people on Twitter that we know, probably podcasters that we know that are all of our sort of vintage or teenagers or thereabouts in the wilderness years, and for whom there's a particular love of the Virgin books. Mm-hmm. But if you weren't reading them at the time, it is harder to go back and read them. They are harder to get into. You do need to acquire copies one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, I guess what I'm saying is that I'm, I'm validating your, your decision to buy it, Rob, because mm. I, I, I think that the chance of this getting multiple print runs over the next decade are much less than the Target book.
0: Yeah, well, look, now that you put it like that, he, he may, and it's a big may, may do a soft cover at some stage, but maybe it won't hit hard cover again after this run.
1: Yeah, it, it wouldn't surprise me because I think there is a very passionate group of people who are New Adventures fans and New Adventures now 20 years old so there is that nostalgia factor as well and those of us who grew up with the New Adventures are teenagers are now all hopefully in you know the middle of our careers and can afford to spend a little bit more on guilty Mm. pleasures like a big Mm. hardback about novels written 20 years ago Um, so you know so we can we can afford it we can we can get it out of the time is right but I think the time is also very very narrow
0: yeah. Does yours have a big, bold signature from David in the in the front?
1: It does, yes. Yeah, that was a nice touch. It was a very nice touch, and I, th- I think a reflection of the fact that this is a book by a dedicated fan for dedicated fans, and I think that felt like an acknowledgement of that.
0: Yeah. Speaking of dedicated fans, Keith Barnfather is a hell of a dedicated fan. He's been out there with a video camera on his shoulder For literally decades, filming all sorts of stuff, whether it's conventions or one-on-one interviews with uh, stars of Doctor Who, both on-screen and off-screen, for the Myth Makers series of um, videos. And in more recent times, he's been bundling together compatible episodes of Myth Makers onto DVDs and making these very compelling purchases, where you have like about three or four hours of content on a couple of DVDs for far cheaper than it would have cost to buy the original Myth Makers. And he's run through all the Doctors, Classic Doctors that is, and is now on to some behind-the-scenes DVDs relating to the Classic Doctors. And I just want to give a shout-out that he's recently put out The Pertwee Behind the Scenes Volume 2, which has got people like Bob Baker and Dave Martin, Robert Sloman, Louis Marx and Dudley Simpson on it, as well as a whole bunch of others. And that came hot on the heels of uh, a Trouton behind-the-scenes piece which has uh, Sean Sutton, Victor Pemberton, Derek Sherwin, Innes Lloyd, a whole bunch of others. Because I know in a recent episode we were talking about how a lot of these people didn't do interviews all that often. Well, Keith Barnfather went out and in some cases got some of the only interviews with these people in a, in a long sort of form. And I find these DVDs absolutely fascinating. And I know you've got one, Dave, because I had a... I had a bit of an ordering uh, situation come up where I got two copies of the same thing. And I just love these. I love them a lot.
1: I absolutely love the concept of them. I must admit, other than the freebie you you sent me, Robin, thank you very much. I I will enjoy that when I get a chance to watch it. But I I haven't dived in just because of, you know, time, money, all the reasons we don't do that. But I'm so glad these are being put out there again because every so often in a documentary on a DVD or the like – You'll see these little clips of interviews. For example, on the Earthshock making of DVD, on the Earthshock DVD, there is a wonderful set of clips from an interview with Peter Grimwade, and Peter Grimwade is amazingly wonderfully frank, mm. honest, bitchy a little bit in the sort of wonderful yeah. camp the way, uh, you know, not 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 unwilling to particularly take on the criticism of him and his his style from, from some of the cast and and put it back on them. And you think, wouldn't it be wonderful to see the full hour or however long this was? Mm. And uh, that's just a, a, one example I can think of. So as these sort of things do come out, I, I will start to pick off a few here and there and catch up on them because I think they will be absolutely fascinating.
0: Yeah, I'm assuming on the Devo behind-the-scenes DVD, maybe that'll pop up.
1: Look yeah I think so and that's maybe one that I will start with as a purchase because one thing about the Davison cast and crew is that they are not aggressively negative but they are very very frank and occasionally bitchy and Mm -hmm. they are willing to sort of tell a few stories there it, is, it isn't like the pearly era where I look at the end of the day we were all good chaps we were all good fun and we all went to the <laughs> pub afterwards and we all started great time down making the demons and you know we didn't always get make get get on but hey wasn't it fun you know there's that sort of vibe and that's lovely the Davidson era sort of we were a bunch of professionals we were thrown together for a job it was a job uh, and here's my frank assessment of it yeah and, uh, th- that's that's really quite fun to watch
0: yeah and there is already a Davison era uh, DVD out in this range It's not the behind the scenes It's the front of camera people And there's like footage of them at Panopticons decades ago And they're just as frank then as they are now So it's not even something that's come on like Oh 30 years have gone past let's, let's open up They were doing this stuff decades ago Dave <laughs> And there's also on that one and Anthony Ainley He's at some university in like a little university room Talking to about I don't know 20 people in an audience, and he is hilariously frank in that. Oh, worth the price of admission alone, that one.
1: Oh, there are some Anthony Ainley convention appearances which are legendary in the just aggressive bizarreness of the stuff that he didn't say. So, uh, yeah, I can definitely believe that. Mm. Speaking of the Davo era. Yes, good segue. I did, I thank you, I did watch A. Davison story, like I think a lot of fandom have been in the last month. Mm -hmm. I did watch Warriors of the Deep. Uh, I know a number of people have watched that. I know our friends over at Diddly Dumb were joined by our friend at 42 to Doomsday Mark to do a recording about Warriors of the Deep, but a lot of people I've seen on Twitter are kind of going back to the Sea Devil stories and watching them for obvious reasons, given what's mm-hmm. coming up next month. Yeah, And I've got to say, I enjoy this story immensely. I did watch it over three or four nights, and the first night watching part one, I was absolutely loving it. I think that part one is... Very, very impressive. It feels like a season opener, which of course it was. You've got that great model work with Sentinel-6. You've got the amazing model work of the sea base and the Silurian base and the Silurian craft. There's that creepiness as they go down in the dark sea devil tombs or or, um, chambers or whatever they are. You've got that sense of real foreboding that this is a world with missile crises every day. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, a really wonderful setup. You've got a great TARDIS crew, one of my favorite TARDIS crews. It is, however, very obvious, though, that the bulk of part one was obviously recorded in the first production block, before things started to go a bit awry, <laughs> and you look, you do see some of the production flaws start to come through. You do, you do get the feeling that there are a number of takes that, if they'd had the full production time, they would have gone for another take. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some of the special effects with the Merc were rushed into production and and weren't ready to go. But but again, the Merc is only in one episode. Yeah, it, it appears at the end of part two and it's dead before the end of part three. So it's actually not that big a part of the story. Uh, So, look, there are some production flaws. I think it looks fantastic. I know people criticise the lighting, but I think that gleaming, and I've said this before, that gleaming futuristic approach is exactly what it needs. But it also needs it because you need the contrast with the Silurian base, and you need that contrast with the dark when they go into the missile runs, where they do drop the lights. And you can't drop the lights if the lights were already dropped. So, look, I reject that criticism. The Sea Devils themselves... Look, they look fantastic. Mm-hmm. The 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 armour that they're wearing is really quite cool. The voices yeah, are the really Japanese cool. Yeah, the Japanese look. Yeah, really effective. Uh, yes, it's a bit obvious that some of the heads are not quite sitting right on the actors and are lobbing over at unnatural degrees. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you think about a tortoise, a tortoise can't move its neck quite a lot. So maybe it's deliberate <laughs> or maybe I've just retconned it. I don't know. They're obviously not that integral to the plot in that they are the... Warriors of the Silurians in this one not independent there, but mm. look, they look great. I, I get why the Sea Devils have consistently captured the imagination of fans because they look fantastic. Like the Silurians, they're a really interesting concept, and I think Warriors of the Deep is a really underrated story. I enjoyed it so so much.
0: Oh, I think so too, and and just when you were talking there and saying people complain about the lighting or the murka, it's it's just one of those stories in fandom where that that's the shorthand, you know, if someone says worries of the deep your your obligatory responses you go oh the lighting uh the murka ha, job done you know i've now commented on the story oh yes that's right
1: warriors on the cheap (laughs) yeah
0: yeah yeah exactly and and there is so much more to it like all these doctor who stories that have these two or three bullet point shorthand things that fans will pull out on podcasts or on twitter or whatever they're all so much more than that, you know. Even the stories that are a bit duff are still much more than their bullet point comedy comments that people make. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So, look, just just a case of a semi-random Doctor Who story, chucking it on, and I I still love watching these stories for, I don't know, probably the 20th time, who knows.
0: Yeah. But, Dave, I think the time has come. I think the listeners are dying to hear about us putting tardis crews in movies. Should we move on to that?
1: The time has come the walrus said to talk of many things.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, we we thought this this would be a nice fluffy one in between doing a big heavy season review last time and what we're going to do next time which we'll talk about at the end of this show to do something just fun and we've we've put tardis teams in different eras of Doctor Who. We've we've done all sorts of things, but we haven't put them in movies, Dave.
1: No, and this is a completely stupid Completely improbable, (laughs) completely implausible. You know, I'm going to be putting um, TARDIS crews into movies that didn't even exist in this. Like, they weren't alive for, you know. (laughs) This is utterly (laughs) ridiculous. and, and And I'm going to hopefully have immense fun doing it.
0: Do you know, you say that I've done something completely different. As a challenge to myself, I picked movies that were concurrent with the TARDIS team at the time
1: interesting look i've got a couple that were but a couple that definitely are not so uh we'll see although now i look at it there are probably more that are it's contemporary than not uh, mm-hmm. and that's not deliberate i suspect it is more about just my brain naturally finding the right crew to go in just something that is very 70s and a crew that's very 70s naturally feel like they go together so maybe mm-hmm. maybe some consciously i've been closer than i thought to you on that although some are very much not
0: <laughs> very good. Well, look, I think you've got one more than me, so maybe you should go first.
1: Thank you very much, and look, I will. My first one is a little bit contemporaneous with each other, and it is, naturally for me, of course, very, very 90s, mm-hmm. because I have decided to put the Seventh Doctor, Ace, and Bernice, Bernice Summerfield, of course, from the New Adventures, I've decided to put them into Starship Troopers. Oh! <laughs> Oh, wow. Now, the way I see this panning out yeah. is that firstly, Ace ends up aboard the starships and she's part of that pilot crew that that goes through there. and and maybe in my mind I'm thinking about the proposed Earth aid story that, Ben Aaronovitch was pitching to open season twenty seven, where it would open on Ace in command of a starship. I've got that vibe in my mind. So she's up there doing the starship thing with with all those people, and some she's very up strong... there with Ibanez. Yes, that's right. You know, some very strong female characters up there. Mm-hmm. Benny ends up down on the planet with the troopers, which I think is would be very very funny and also very very interesting. Yeah. And then the seventh Doctor ends up working with Neil Patrick Harris. doing doing those experiments but he's not doing the torturous experiments on the bugs he leans neil patrick harris harris's character into doing more about the telepathy and the psychic powers that they're exploring and in the end the seventh doctor is trying to get the character to communicate with the bugs so that they can actually reach a peace with the bugs and understand the bugs and that changes the whole end of the movie
0: Interesting, I like that a lot.
1: So, that is my 90s pick.
0: Okay, I would like to put Peter Capaldi and Clara in a 2017 film, and that film is Dunkirk.
1: Oh, oh, mm. okay. so I thought
0: I'll start off with an historical here, and I don't actually have particularly strong reasons for this particular mashup outside of the fact I would have liked to have seen Capaldi do more historical stuff in general we get thin ice we get eaters of light maybe robot of Sherwood at a pinch but I can't think of many more than that you know when I I sat down and was jotting them down I couldn't think of many more like really really historical type things and I just think there's something really strong with Capaldi in France with this doomed British army and let's say the TARDIS lands somewhere within British lines but the German advance has overtaken it so the TARDIS is behind German lines he has to get himself and Clara off Dunkirk but of course they get split up Uh, you know of course they do it's what happens in Doctor Who and it just goes from there they have to escape Dunkirk they're in an historical situation and they don't have the TARDIS
1: can we get Peter Capaldi paired up for a scene with Harry Styles
0: I'm sure we can. I'm sure
1: we can. That would be interesting to watch. Uh, that, that's a really interesting take, and I can certainly imagine that in my mind. And the scene that I want to see there, and maybe it's just me, is, is a moment when Clara turns to the Doctor and says, Doctor, all this conflict, give them the speech. You know, the one you gave to the Zygons about peace is always right and they should just, just, just not fight. And, and the Doctor turning <laughs> and saying, sometimes there are things worth fighting for.
0: Oh, gosh, that'd be good.
1: That would be yeah. really good. I'd like that.
0: Excellent. What's your next one?
1: I'm going way back now, away from the 90s. I'm going to the 60s, in fact. Mm -hmm. And I am putting the first Doctor, Vicky, Ian and Barbara into the epic movie, Cleopatra.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Now, this is just a natural one. I think that if the 60s had the budget, it is what they absolutely would have done. And again, I've paired up the crew with different elements of the plot. So Barbara naturally is going to end up with Cleopatra trying to convince her to make different decisions. Barbara knows that you can't change the whole of history, but she knows you can save one life and maybe she can save Cleopatra's life. And so Mm -hmm. she's taking the lessons from the Aztecs and trying to apply it. But again, probably without success. Ian ends up falling in with Anthony's army he's there at the Battle of Actium he's there at the Battle of Ale- Alexander and he's fighting with this army trying to get back to Barbara who's who's there with Cleopatra and of course Vicky and the Doctor are in Rome they end up travelling with Octavian and just observing this and the Doctor falling in and out of conspiracy trying not to give away hints to Octavian and then they all meet as Cleopatra falls
0: Would Octavian be on to him because Octavian's a smart dude
1: I like the idea octavian realizing that this guy knows more than he's saying and just working out if he can play him and manipulate him and that that battle that will between them i think would be very very interesting
0: Mm. oh i like that one a lot moving on i've got smithy and amy in a 2010 film and that film is alice in wonderland
1: the um the weird one, the, the scary yes, one. Yes, yes,
0: yes. I, I couldn't go past this. <laughs> I think of all the doctors I could put in a weird CGI Alice in Wonderland kind of setting, it's got to be Smith. Yes. Y- you know, you think of him just wandering around, meeting weird people, you know, his his arms and legs all over the place like a baby horse, you know, the way he walks around. he He's like a CGI character himself. And I think the dark fantasy that Tim Burton does in general would just fit this so well. And the more I thought about it, the more I got a Land of Fiction kind of vibe, which might be the way in. You literally have the Doctor and Amy helping Alice to escape or or something like that. It was really just the setting that drew me in on this one. The, The story is so well formed. You know, the story is the story. But this dark fantasy, I just couldn't see any other Doctor in Alice in Wonderland but Smithy.
1: I'm now imagining the 11th Doctor dressed as a carpenter, strolling along a beach with a walrus. And it just seems so right. There you go. There you go. And and look, you're you're right. Matt Smith being directed by Tim Burton makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, it really does.
1: All oh, that's fun. Uh, one here that is one here where the pictures are definitely not contemporaneous with each other. Mm-hmm. I've got the Tenth Doctor and Donna. They arrive on an island in the middle of the Atlantic, the Pacific. It's not quite clear. They wander around. At first, it seems deserted. Then they hear noise. It sounds like children. And then they wander over a sand dune and they see a bunch of young British boys, no adults around, obviously washed Uh up somehow, about to fight each other because they've arrived in the middle of Lord of the Flies. (laughs) Oh, yes. And there's something about the 10th Doctor and all his sort of smugness and Englishness Around the whole, we're not savages. We're British, and the British are best at everything. And mm-hmm. just sort of in that, and then you know Donna coming in with a few appropriate put downs and telling them to pull their heads in and you know not to pick on Piggy and all that sort of thing. And you know maybe it's not quite going right. Maybe there's some sort of malevolent alien force that's feeding on all um. the tension or something. And maybe that's why. The kids in Lord of the Flies go quite so evil quite so quickly. That could be the twist there, but mostly I just want to see Donna slapping around some of those kids.
0: I was about to say <laughs> the image in my head was Tenant maybe not controlling the kids, but Donna pulling one along by his ear. Yes. Like,
1: right, mister. It's exactly <laughs> it. You got me exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can picture that. That's excellent. All right, uh, moving along. I've got Colin and Mel in a 1986 movie. Labyrinth. Oh, goodness. Now, this is very similar to the Alice in Wonderland example in some ways, and yet it's very different in other ways. I almost didn't pick it, but it's different enough, I think. Labyrinth is this classic 80s film. David Bowie's in it. And there's heaps of puppetry, which made me think of (laughs) bandrilles. And who better to step into this weird... But practical effects world, it's not a CGI world like Alice in Wonderland. This is a weird practical effects world. Who better than Colin and Mel? So while, yes, it's another fantasy realm, I think this would feel so different to Alice in Wonderland because it's more grounded. And there's singing. You know, Colin could have a sing with Bowie. Mel could have a good scream at all the creatures. It's super 80s. I just thought, as as it fell into my head, I thought, yes, I can't, I can't not put Colin and Mel in Labyrinth.
1: It's very... Doctor Who stage play that that Colin did. Uh what was that Seven Keys to Doomsday? Or was it was it the other one?
0: It's the other it's one. It's the other one. Ultimate Adventure. Ultimate
1: Adventure, thank you. We got there in the end. Uh yeah, <laughs> yes, it does have that sort of vibe, doesn't it?
0: It really does. Yeah.
1: And Bonnie like that just makes perfect sense, you know, Bonnie doing a duet with a muppet. What more do you want?
0: It's it all fits. It all
1: fits. <laughs> That's very cool. Uh my fourth pick. In this one we have the fourth Doctor, Romana and Adric. Mhm. They arrive on Earth sometime in the 23rd century maybe, it's not quite clear, and they think that everything's going fine and then suddenly everything starts to shake, the water starts to boil and flash around and everything's going on and Earth's under attack from some sort of strange probe. The Doctor meets up with a bunch of people who say, we need to get some whales. We need to get them from the 20th century. He says, I've got a time machine. I've got a time machine. I can take you back and help you get your whales. Because, of course, I've put the fourth Doctor into Star Trek for the voyage home. (laughs) And I think that that is perfect because who would you want to try and help you get some whales from 200 years ago but the Doctor? And so they all end up back in 1980s San Francisco Uh, Adric ends up working with Scotty on the whale tank and doing those calculations to make the transparent aluminium and and getting all that going. I think that would work really well. Romana ends up with Chekhov on the USS Enterprise, the nuclear vessel, trying to get all the nuclear energy. And maybe things go a bit better with her running the show than Chekhov. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I think really made this pick work for me is that the fourth Doctor ends up spending some time with Kirk and Dr. Taylor. Now, Kirk is still flirting with Dr. Taylor and trying to get in her pants, but Dr. Taylor's kind of more interested in this mysterious alien guy, and he's sort of very, oh, you're a beautiful woman, probably, and she can't quite understand why he's not falling for her, and Kirk can't understand why she's not falling for him, and you, you get this sort of wonderful triangle, which I think would be quite fun, and just the, the energy of the Tom Baker Doctor and William Shatner's Kirk in a love triangle to me just just is wonderful but the fourth doctor in the one with the whales what more do you need
0: i would not have thought of this in a million years but i love it
1: (laughs) oh thank you very much
0: here's one that you might not have thought of (laughs) because it's certainly my out of the box one i've taken sylvester and ace and i've put them in a 1988 movie that movie is the last temptation of christ
1: no i would never have thought of that
0: (laughs) You know how there's one of the McCoy writers on one of the DVDs uh, in one of the documentaries and he's like, I was asked who the Doctor is and I said, well, he's God.
1: Yes. You know, and,
0: and combined with Cartmel pushing the envelope, this has got to be the logical conclusion to that. You get McCoy and Sophie in a quarry pretending to be the desert and you do The Last Temptation of Christ. You, know, you, you have the Doctor interacting with this guy and you don't fall on either side of the fence. You don't say, oh, he's just some deluded soul leading this Jewish cult. You don't say he's the son of God. You you just have these deep philosophical musings from McCoy with Christ. Uh, you have some Romans perhaps doing some Roman things. You maybe have that sort of predestination vibe where Jesus knows what he has to do. You know, I know this is a bit crazy, <laughs> but I thought... This feels kind of right for the era. It's oh, Dave, what do you reckon? The last temptation of Christ. Look,
1: I love how balmy that is. That's an incredible pick. Um, the the two big drawbacks I see are, are firstly I'm just imagining that being pitched to JNT and, and him saying something like, Oh, oh look, okay, do it, but just don't call him Jesus <laughs> And and the other thing that gets me is is just this idea that, you know, 30 AD Judea would be filmed in a quarry. Yes. Uh, So it would probably be a magnificent disaster, but I kind of want to see it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So that's where I I ended up with Sylvester and Ace.
1: That's very cool and very weird. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Uh, And, and look, knowing Cartman probably turned out that Jesus was a Time Lord or something, so... Yes! (laughs) Uh, I've gone for a slightly more sedate one for my next pick. Okay. Uh, I'm taking the 12th Doctor and Bill and I'm putting them into dead poet society.
0: Oh, school setting comes immediately to mind.
1: School setting, academic, but but a, but a bit more than that. I, I Firstly, I just want to see Peter Capaldi and Robin Williams performing together. I think that would be an amazing okay. dynamic that I just would love to see. And, and I think I'd love to see Robin Williams with Capaldi more than any other Doctor, just because of the, the tone and the vibe and the energy that they have. How would these pampered American schoolboys, white-bred, elite American mm. deal with Bill.
0: Ooh, in that era, yes. In that
1: era. That, that could be a very interesting dynamic that I'd, be, I'd want to see. I'd, yeah, I'd like it's to, not
0: quite family of blood kind of No, it's, it's but
1: different. Because, but, and, and yeah. you know, the American experience is different to the British experience, but it it would be playing off that. And Bill's a different character to Martha as well. Yeah. And, and I think it would be a very different reaction I, I like the idea of Capaldi being able to say things to the headmaster that Robin Williams can't say. You know, Robert Williams has to pull his punches because he's a professional, he's an mm. employee, he's a, he's a nice guy. And, and as he's pulling his punches, the 12th Doctor looking at him with this bizarre, why are you doing this, look, and turn around to the headmaster, you're an idiot. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think that would be a wonderful moment. And, and look, in the very end... Could you imagine the 12th Doctor standing on a desk saying, oh, captain, my captain? Oh. And and, oh. and leading that charge for freedom of creativity, freedom of intellectual, for the freedom to learn, the freedom of the individual, like just all the things that movie is about.
0: And all the things the Doctor stands for. And all the things the
1: Doctor stands for just being summed up by the Doctor on a desk, oh, captain, my captain.
0: Wow. Oh, I got chills up my spine then. That's good.
1: Thank you. As I say, it's one of my more serious ones, but I, I do love the imagery of that one.
0: Yeah uh I'm going with a more yeah, it is more serious, of course it is uh when when you hear it i'm taking Tennant and Rose, putting them in a two thousand and six film called pan's Labyrinth.
1: I know it, but i haven't seen it
0: okay, well, this is where we can put Ten and Piper back in time into an historical era it's It's just post the Spanish Civil War. Franco is in charge. World War II is still going on. I think it's about 43 or 44 or something like that. But there's also some dark fantasy going on. And here I go again with the dark fantasy. But I think fantasy elements work really well in Doctor Who. There's always been a sci fantasy, to my mind, going on in Doctor Who aside from some very brief eras where it was more super-duper science fiction like the Bidmead era or um, or what Jerry Davis was doing in the 60s and things like that. And I think this could actually have been a stepping-off point for Rose because if anyone knows the film and it's got these themes of the underworld and self-sacrifice and all of that, Rose could step in for that young girl role and then have to make the sacrifice that she makes i'm trying to be non-spoilery about the plot of pan's labyrinth (laughs) yeah uh and she would make that sacrifice and then still be alive but be in a different world kind of how she ends up in the actual show in doomsday but via what happens in pan's labyrinth i just think it would work marvelously and i think if anyone out there knows pan's labyrinth put rose into that girl's position it could be really really interesting
1: yeah as I say I don't know the movie but I know of it and I certainly know of the era and Rose's reaction to all that yes I think would be very very interesting
0: mm. yeah I'd like, to, I'd like to hear what listeners think of that one out of probably all the ones I've done here actually
1: interesting so my second last mm-hmm. I have gone with the third Doctor Okay. he's between seasons 7 and 8 so he's just accompanied by the Brigadier and of course his TARDIS isn't working Now, at this point, they realize that there's a report that maybe the master's up to something in Iran. And Mm -hmm. so they get on a plane and they go to Tehran. But of course, this is the era, and I'm using original unit dating here. So it's about 1979. And suddenly the brigadier and the doctor get caught up in the Iranian revolution. And suddenly they're hiding in the Canadian embassy. And suddenly they've got to get back to London with all these people because I'm putting the third Doctor into Argo.
0: I was going to say, and then Ben Affleck appears. And then
1: Ben Affleck appears. So (laughs) I just sort of love the idea of the Brigadier particularly, but also the third Doctor having to skulk around revolutionary Iran. I I think at some point the Doctor's got to knock out a revolutionary guard with some Venusian Arquido and they've got to get on with diplomats. And just adding the... uh, the extra layer of a british army officer trying to get out with this group in the brigadier i think would be very interesting and it does explore that thing about the perwee era of the doctor is without his tardis and in this case he's not even going to be in the home counties in london he's in iran what do they do what does the brigadier do in iran he can't just call up trap three and get mike yates to come along Mm
0: -hmm. so uh
1: yeah that's what i did
0: that chap he knocks out is that uh, before or after the brig just tries to shoot him
1: uh i i'm not quite sure but but I, I'm, I'm thinking as well about that scene at the airport where they've got to convince the revolutionary guard that they're making a science fiction movie and just the doctor saying well of course it's about venusians and they've got six feet and they do you know perigosto sticks and <laughs> and the guy just <laughs> going off for god's sake go go catch your plane
0: yes oh that'd be
1: fabulous i love it your final one, Rob.
0: Yeah, this is my final one. I've got Davo, I've got Tegan, and I've got Turlow in a nineteen eighty-four film, Dave, and there were a lot of good films in nineteen eighty four. There were. I'm putting them in gremlins. Oh goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I saved my super fun one for last. This is this is super 80s. I just see something fun in Gremlins taking over a town or or even getting into the TARDIS itself. You know, maybe after Turlo spilled some water on a Mogwai and created the Gremlins... And it just opens up this chance for the Doctor to science things up and put on his half-moon specs, maybe be, maybe get a bit of a Quatermass vibe going on, and, and playing the whole thing straight, even though all these little puppets are running around causing absolute mayhem, Tegan could probably punch some and say, bugger off, and... You know, <laughs> I think the whole thing would work marvellously. I really do.
1: And Turlo ends up trapped in a cell somewhere with one. Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, frothing at the mouth. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh, that is fun. Yes, that is fun. That's a good movie and a good TARDIS team. There you go. (laughs) My final one, I've also saved a a fun one for the end. I have decided that the Ninth Doctor and Rose are going to turn up on the NSEA Protector as members of the crew of Galaxy Quest. Oh, wow. (laughs) I just think that that would be so much fun. Christopher Eccleston and Alan Rickman playing off each other would be such a delight. Rose down on the away mission with Tim Allen, who's, you know, finding excuses to take his shirt off all all the time would be really, really fun. And then it ends with the great big space battle. It ends with a big confrontation, which is a thing that the Ninth Doctor does really well. But after that, the NSEA Protector crashes at a great big science fiction convention, and we get the wonderful delight of Christopher Eccleston having to walk through a sci-fi convention.
0: Brilliant. Really, I so love it. So that
1: one is just a fun thing that I want to see.
0: Oh, wow. Now, Dave, we also... We didn't solicit our listeners to, to give their own thoughts, but when our listeners remembered we were doing this episode, some of them just tweeted us some thoughts of their own. So I've got a few here to read out if you want to hear them. Yeah, please. Oscar Groucho, at Oscar Groucho's on Twitter, said Paul McGann and Daphne Ashbrook in Matthew McConaughey's Sahara.
1: Paul McGann and... Matthew McConaughey I want to see that
0: (laughs) and that'd be pretty good yeah quite an adventure yeah Kevin Hush who was at Khan Triple Four Double One, says Tom and Elizabeth in When Harry Met Sally (laughs) (laughs) Davo and Sarah by which I think he must mean Sarah Sutton in Fiddler on the Roof
1: well that would definitely make Fiddler on the Roof much better than it was without them (laughs) very true
0: maybe that's Kevin's point but
1: most things would
0: (laughs) yes uh Sylve and Sophie in the Avengers not the superhero movie but the Avengers the 60s British show
1: that would be interesting yeah Sophie and Mrs Peel they they have some things in common but some things so not
0: yeah it would be different yeah and 10 and the crew of Journey's End in the Avengers the superhero movie yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, good one, Kevin. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, Jethro Roos at Jethro underscore Roos says, I can see Capaldi doing some highbrow political comedy with lots and lots of swearing.
1: Yes, I think that would be very fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, if it's not already been done. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the Diddly Dumb podcast at Diddly underscore Dumb says, how about transposing the cast of the Romans to carry on Cleo?
1: Well, it would be exactly the same movie, wouldn't it? <laughs> which I think is their point. There you go. (laughs) Oh, yes. Look, lots of fun ideas you could come up with there. And and look, it wasn't that hard to come up with the seven I did. I, I could have come up with more, but good to have some fun with the concept.
0: Yeah, look, once I started settling on the teams I wanted to talk about and then looked at what movies were made in the years that they were the incumbents... I was coming across, you know, oh, there's half a dozen here I could really talk about. So I really had to cull things down.
1: You see, I went the other way. I thought, what's a movie that I could see working with a Doctor Who crew? Right. And then said, what crew should it be?
0: Interesting. Okay. And I went the exact opposite.
1: There you go. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, speaking of our listeners, we've had an email this month. We love getting emails. Do send them in to us at hello at net. This is from Neil Campbell who is on Twitter at Neilas C? He comes from Carrickfergus, Northern Ireland. I think this might be our first email from Northern Ireland, Dave.
1: It may well be. I did actually look up where Carrickfergus was, and it's not far from Belfast. Uh, mm. I can't say I've been there, but I have been to Belfast. And that's a that's a very unique city with a very, very, at times wonderful and at times terrifying vibe all of its own.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, so, hello, Neil. Uh, he says... Hi fellas, just thought I'd drop you an email, as your Twitter won't let me DM you, and I don't have Facebook. (laughs) I came across your show the other day, as I saw a tweet about it in regards to worst decisions in the show's history, so I stuck it on when going for a run. I agree with many of your points, especially with JNT just happily accepting moving on from Peter Davison far too soon. Albeit, I do like Colin Baker. I think that was your call there, wasn't it, Dave? I think
1: it was, yes. Yeah. Uh,
0: just like to say, I think your show is fantastic and I'm really enjoying it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. So much that for other runs, I've been sticking on old shows too. I listened to your reviews of season 11 and season 20 and I've started your review of the Pertwee era from 2019. Incidentally, he is my favourite Doctor.
1: Excellent pick. Yep,
0: excellent pick. Excellent pick. I can't wait to hear more of your reviews, and I'll be scouring through your archives with a keen eye. Keep up the good work. Alon Z from Neil. What a lovely email.
1: That's a lovely email, Neil. It's always nice to hear good things from listeners. Of course it is. We know i would be lying if I said it wasn't. Uh, But, yeah, look, I'm glad you're going back and enjoying some of those episodes and clearly uh, looking for our season reviews, which we always have fun doing, and I think they would be ones that would stand up a bit, so it's good to know they do.
0: Hmm. Another thing we like doing, Dave, is hot takes. And as we mentioned at the start of the show, we'll be back in probably about two or three weeks from now doing a hot take on the uh, the new Sea Devil story.
1: Yes, once we know exactly when it's out, we'll put it in our diaries and we'll be giving you our take probably the morning after it comes out.
0: Mm, yeah, looking forward to that.
1: I should also mention, if you haven't seen it on your podcast feed, that Richard from Spacefall, who is a semi-recurring character here. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. He and I went and saw The Batman and we did one of our little reviews of it, just a nice little half hour. But as well as talking about the Batman film, we did have a bit of a longer chat about where we see the character of Batman in the movies right now Mm. and where we see the DC movies going right now. And and look, you know, not to preempt the conversation there, but a point you make is that, you know, Batman's a very successful, effective standalone movie joker was a very successful standalone movie is it time for dc to eschew the uh multiverse and, and extended cinematic universe of marvel and just do these very weird cool standalone movies we discuss more of that in the podcast as well as our takes on the batman
0: yeah i quite enjoyed listening to that one and something else i enjoyed is something that dropped today dave i'm not even sure if you've had time to see it have you seen the five minute scene cut from the Batman that features the Joker.
1: I saw you tweet about it I watched about a minute and thought I'm not going to watch this on my phone at work I'll wait till I get a moment properly and I'll I'll watch it properly so I might even do that as soon as we finished recording.
0: Yeah watch it on the TV.
1: Yeah watch it on the TV uninterrupted not worrying about somebody wondering why I'm watching Batman films at work.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a good call too because the guy playing the Joker he's doing things with his voice that I think will sound better coming out of a TV speakers uh, rather than a phone speakers. Cause his, his speech is slightly garbled.
1: Yes. It's interesting that that scene was filmed, but not included. So uh, yeah, I'm keen to have a look at that.
0: Mm. Which just leaves us to talk about next month. Next month we're going to look at a Doctor Who audio. We don't do a lot of audios and no, it's not a big finish. <laughs> we are going to look at Death Comes to Time which was originally a webcast audio drama that the BBC put out on the BBC iCult website back in 2001, if anyone remembers that website from over 20 years ago. And it even came out with these little bits of animation, very rudimentary animation for the time. So you'd listen to the episodes, there'd be a bit of animation happening on the screen, probably done in Flash or, you know. Whatever program was hot around that time. Uh, But we'll be looking at the expanded and re-edited edition that came out on CD after that. So, yeah. Are you looking forward to that, Dave? I I
1: am very intrigued about it because I do vaguely remember... It coming out at the time I do remember various jokes about the fact that if you're happy to listen to it in five second bursts in between huge amounts of buffering it's it's you know <laughs> it, it was that era it. it was it was that era but I've, I've never heard this I could not tell you anything about it other than it existed so I'm going to be going into this as a very fresh Doctor Who story
0: yeah and look I've not heard it probably for almost 20 years so I'm I'm basically going in fresh myself <laughs>
1: fantastic well i'm looking forward to that but until then there's lots of television to watch there's lots of good things happening and we'll be back any day now with the legend of the sea devils
0: Ooh, looking forward to that and of course primary sources list makers all the usual stuff we do thank you for tuning in do drop us a line sometime like i say hello at the thedwshow.net
1: but until then i've been dave
0: and i've been rob
1: we'll speak again soon
0: we will bye
1: now goodbye
0: You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.